This morning's reading comes from Luke 7, verses 11 through 23. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. John's disciples told him about these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Amen. In C.S. Lewis's book, God in the Dock, he wrote, imagine a set of people all living in the same building. Half of them think it's a hotel. The other half think it's a prison. Those who think it's a hotel might regard it as quite intolerable. And those who thought it was a prison might decide that it was really surprisingly comfortable. You see, Lewis cleverly used this contrast between a hotel and a prison to illustrate how we view life based on our expectations. He says, if you think of this world as a place intended simply for your happiness, you will find it quite intolerable. But if you think of this world as a place of training, in a place of correction, then it's not so bad. Because sometimes we expect that life should be happy, pain-free. But that's not what the Bible says. For the believer, this world is a place of spiritual development through both good times and bad. Jesus was realistic when he explained what to expect in life. I told you this so that you will have peace of heart and peace of mind, because here on this earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But cheer up, for I have overcome the world. You see, when we're facing life's blessings and when we're facing life's trials, we can have the inner peace that God is orchestrating every event according to his sovereign plan. So the question we ask ourselves this morning is, what do you expect? What expectations do you place on others? 
What expectations do you place on Jesus? We're in a series called Giving It Up. In this season of Lent, we often focus on giving up the things that we enjoy in order to draw us closer to God. But what if instead of giving up the things we wanted to give up, we looked at giving up the things that God wanted us to give up? Last week, we looked at giving up hopelessness. This morning, we're going to discover giving up our expectations. Because expectations touch every part of our lives. We have expectations for our circumstances. We expect to be healthy. That's kind of funny since I'm sick this morning, isn't it? I was, I was typing this, I was healthy, and I thought, wow, what a difference when we're healthy. Yeah, we expect to be healthy when we're not. Man, that really stinks. Kind of ironic. We have expectations to be successful in our endeavors. We have expectations to be treated fairly. We have expectations for others. We expect that they will think like us. We expect people to behave like us. Well, isn't that just common sense? Why can't they just do it this way? That just makes more sense. We expect that others will treat people kindly. But what happens when our expectations aren't met? We're left discouraged, discontented, disappointed. Our expectations are like our ceiling. People can jump up and reach them every now and then. They can wear themselves out trying to reach them as often as they can. But no one can stay there. No one can live there. Think back for a moment on a great expectation that you had in someone. But it didn't come true. How big was the letdown? How fresh is the hurt? The disillusionment, the disappointment. See, we find that life is full of moments that didn't turn out the way we thought they would because of our expectations. Expectations that we've put on our circumstances. Expectations that we've put on other people. And even expectations that we've put on God. You see, it's from this sense of disillusionment, this sense of disappointment, that John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus with one question. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Remember, from the moment that John was conceived, it was a prophecy that he would be the man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He was preparing the way for the people, for the coming of the Lord. He lived in the wilderness for many years until, as Luke records in chapter 3, a message from God came to him and he began preaching and baptizing to prepare the way for the Lord. People came from all over to hear John preach. He preached a message of repentance. And then one day, he sees Jesus. There he is. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he says. He's the one 
He's the one I was telling you about, the one that would come after me. And this is what he testified about Jesus in John chapter 1. I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. John had been sent to preach and prepare the people for Jesus. And then when Jesus started preaching, John's crowds became smaller. Then one of John's disciples becomes concerned. What's going on? He's stealing our crowd. Listen to what John says to him. Well, actually, listen first to what the disciple says to John. He says, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, he is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of us. But John says, you yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. And he continues even after that, for several verses, he's exalting Jesus as Messiah. He knew who Jesus was. So now, why does he send his disciples to ask Jesus if he is really the one? John's expectations of the Messiah weren't fully met. At the time, he sends his disciples, but he's been sitting in a prison cell. John had spoken out against Herod Antipas because Herod Antipas had taken another wife, and it happened to be his brother's wife. And so John the Baptist speaks out about it and says, it's wrong, you can't do that. And this new wife, this adulteress, Herodias, is a wicked, wicked woman, and she says, I don't like that man, John the Baptist, Herod. Get rid of him. Well, King Herod kind of likes John the Baptist, so instead he takes John the Baptist and he throws him in prison. Now John finds himself looking at cold, damp walls of a prison cell. Days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months until a whole year passes by. I imagine John might have been thinking, this was not what I expected. He was hearing reports about what Jesus was doing. Instead of the judgment and repentance message that John preached, this Messiah was preaching about grace. This Messiah was preaching about mercy and forgiveness. He even goes to parties and eats with tax sinners, tax collectors and sinners. John most likely had the expectation 
that Jesus was going to come, the Messiah, he was just going to take this instant road to glory. He was going to establish the Messianic kingdom that they wanted. A kingdom that would free prisoners like himself. But here he is sitting in prison over a year. No freedom. And so John's disciples arrive and they pose John's question to him. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Luke tells us in the next verse that at that time Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. Even before the question is posed, Luke tells of a healing of a soldier's servant and a widow's son who was raised from the dead. And so you can almost feel the, what are they asking? What? Did they not see what Jesus has just done? But they had doubts. Their expectations weren't being met. Then Jesus replies. Do you know Jesus never replies a simple yes or no? Do you ever notice that? He always responds with something that's designed to make us think and make decisions. Often he uses scripture. But you know what? I wonder, if you ever responded to your kids with, Mom, Dad, I need some money. Well, child, did you get clothes on your back this morning? Did you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner today? Do you have a roof over your head, child? And then walk away. Do you think they'd get the answer? Because that's kind of what Jesus does. He just kind of throws this out there. And this is exactly how he responds to this question. He says, go back. Report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. What Jesus just recited was verses from Isaiah 35. This is what Isaiah said. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind. And he will unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. And he also read from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Oh, but wait a minute. Jesus didn't say that last part. Captives will be released and prisoners set free. Might that have been what John was expecting to hear? Maybe. He knew everything else that was going on. He knew about the the blind seeing. He knew about the lame walking and the deaf hearing. But he also knew that he was still in a prison cell. And prisoners were not being set free. He was a faithful man. He was faithful to God. He was obedient in all that God asked. 
Jesus tells us that I tell you of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. And yet, here he is sitting in prison. We can only wonder what was going through John's thoughts. We can only wonder what he might have been expecting from Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, sitting in a prison cell was not what he was expecting. Maybe. We see a similar experience of expectation in the death of Lazarus. You may remember that story. There was a man named Lazarus. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. They were very good friends with Jesus. They were supporters of his ministry, and they loved him dearly. And then one day, Lazarus becomes ill, and they send word to Jesus, Lord, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from it. So, although Jesus loved Martha, although he loved Mary, although he loved Lazarus, he stayed where he was for another two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back. When Jesus arrives in their hometown of Bethany, Martha runs out to meet him. And she says to him, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Lord, you didn't do what I expected you to do. Then Mary comes to Jesus. She falls at his feet, saying, Lord, if only you had been here my brother would not have died. In other words, Lord, you didn't do what I expected you to do. And then the townspeople start to chime in as well. This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus alive? In other words, Jesus You didn't do what was expected of you. Like John the Baptist, they had expectations of Jesus that they believed he wasn't meeting. We aren't all that different. Lord, I have this health issue. I keep praying about it and praying about it and praying about it. And you're not healing it. Lord, my child is struggling. I'm on my knees praying, and yet they still struggle. Why aren't you doing something? Lord, I've been looking for a job for a while now. Nothing's coming through, and I have bills to pay. Why aren't you doing something? Lord, I expect you to fix this. Lord, I expect you to do something. But Jesus reminds us of what we should expect from him. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? You see, in all things, we can expect that God's will, 
and God's glory will be revealed. Then Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man, in there for four days, came out alive. The word then tells us that many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. The glory of God was revealed, even though he didn't meet their expectations. No, he exceeded their expectations. Think back to our story of John. John never physically stepped outside that prison cell. He was instead set free and ushered into the heavenly realms. But for John's disciples, the same ones who were so concerned about Jesus stealing their thunder and their crowds, they could now see that Jesus was indeed the Messiah that Scripture had prophesied about. God got the glory. Sometimes God is doing something powerful, but we miss it because of our expectations of what we think God should do. God is always going to do the unexpected. If it was expected, we could figure it out. And it probably wouldn't be of God. It would be of us. God wants to reveal himself to us in ways that we know that he's the one at work. And that he alone is going to get the glory. We can join him. Or we can get in his way. Over a year ago, when we started coming to Hollywood, because God sent us here as a church, and God had given me a vision of two churches coming together as one. And I prayed about it, and I prayed about it, and I argued with God about it. And he said, no, you're going to write it all down. This is, this is what my plan is. And I argued some more, and I argued some more. And finally I said, okay, Lord, I will, I will, I will put it out there. And the message coming back was, well, but how do you know God wants to do that? How do you know? Because that's the vision he's given me, and look, I've written it out. But now a year has passed, and I have my doubts. I will tell you, I've had my doubts. And every time I go to God and I say, God, are you sure about this? Maybe it's not me. Maybe, maybe Lord, you need to move me somewhere. And I'll, I'll be honest, I've prayed that prayer because I don't want to get in God's way. And he said to me, I can tell you, I was right on that corner. I was walking around this building. I was right on that corner over there coming around. And his words to me were, you're not going anywhere. He said, but you know what? This is going to be the hardest thing you're ever going to do. He said, but you're going to do it. Wow. Now I've been through cancer. I've been through radiation. I've been through brain surgery. But this, this bringing two churches together is going to be the hardest thing I'm ever going to do. Wow, Lord. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. And then 
I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and I say, you're not doing what I'm expecting, Lord. It's been over a year. You aren't doing my expectation, Lord. And he says, because if you, if I respond the way you're expecting, then I don't get the credit. Oh, thank you, Lord. And as a reminder, you know what he did this past week? You know, we've been trying to reach out to the hopefuls. And we have been reaching out to them very well. But we haven't had much success in bringing them to us. They've been very hesitant and very fearful of us. Well, on Wednesday morning, I was headed to the church for a beating that morning. And I get a call from Pastor Debbie. And she says, hey, she said, when you get here, she said, please don't go into beating yet. She says, I, I need you to come in the office. I said, okay. I'm thinking something's happened, something's wrong. And, and I get to the church, and I go in the office, and there are two hopefuls from our community sitting in there that she had already started ministering to. And so we engaged conversation, and we were talking with them. And then I hear some noises out front, and I go outside, and there's another person from the hopeful community. He says, hey, is this, I'm looking for Sawgrass Community Church. Do you know where that is? I said, you found it. I said, come on in. And so I, I bring him into the office. A few minutes pass, and I hear more voices out front. There's two more people out there. I said, hello, can I help you? Yes, we're looking for Sawgrass Community Church. Can you point us in the right direction? I said, well, you found it. And I bring them in. So now we have five people in the office with us. And I just started crying. And I said, Lord. And every one of them said, I don't know how I found this place. They told us, God led me here because I couldn't find it before, but God led me here. And all I could think of was, Lord, you are doing the unexpected this was not with flyers. This, they just showed up. And God wanted to say, if this is my work, this is my work. Just stand back and let me do it. Wow. And so I throw that out there. You know, there will be two churches in this building coming together as one. Because God wills it to be done. So we can either come together and join him in his work or we can fight against it and stand in his way because his will is going to be done whether we join him or not. Are you with me? Are you with him? Yes, amen. And I'll tell you one more thing. After I had that incredible moment with Debbie and these five hopefuls, I go into a beating, and I have my time beating. And there were two precious ladies from First Church with me that morning. And we had an incredible time of prayer after beating. A powerful, the three of us just praying to the Lord, Lord, show us the way, Lord, guide us, guide us in your will. Just another reminder that God is pushing. God is doing his work. We need to let go of our expectations. We need to let go of our expectations of how we believe God should act on our behalf. 
God wants to reveal his power. He wants to reveal his glory to us. But we keep him in a box, limited by our own expectations of how we think he should behave. When we give up our expectations, we'll release the power. We'll release the glory of God that just will flow out of us onto others. When we give up our expectations, we are then freed up to love in ways that matter. You know, the re- I'm feeling really good right now. I don't feel sick at all. But you know what? Maybe the enemy knew the message that I was about to give today. Maybe the enemy was the one that's telling me, no, you need to stay in bed. Because I'll tell you, I was this close to calling Debbie to say, I can't do it. I want to do it, but I can't do it. And God said, no, you're going to get there. And you're going to deliver that message to the people because they need to hear it. I just want to finish with three things that the word shows us that we can always expect from God. We can always expect the steadfast love and acceptance of Jesus. Throughout the Bible, we see a rebellious lot of people that God never stopped pursuing. Jesus sought out the sick. He sought out the powerless. He sought out the outcasts. Jesus accepted and steadfastly loved all people. And by faith, we can expect God's mercy. We can expect God's grace and forgiveness. And by faith, we can expect to live in the reality of his love and acceptance. The second thing we can expect is Jesus' presence. Jesus is God's presence in human history. He stepped into our world. He dwelt among us. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us until the end of the age. And in every circumstance, by faith, we can expect that he will always be present with us. Nothing will separate us from the love of Jesus. The third thing that we can expect from Jesus is his compassion. While on earth, Jesus made the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf to hear. Not everyone was healed, but he compassionately touched every life that he encountered. He moves in our lives the same way today. No matter what, we can expect to live in the reality of Jesus' compassion. When we give up our expectations we'll see that Jesus is simply calling us to follow him in faith and expecting him to simply act beyond anything that we could ever expect. Amen. Heavenly Father, wow, we we thank you for, for your presence with us this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy and your grace, your presence with us, your compassion, those things that we can always expect from you, Lord. Help us to break those boxes of our own expectations, Father. Help us to trust you more. Help us to see outside the little boxes that we put you in 
and put ourselves in, Father. As we leave this place, help us to shine a light for you. Help us to love in ways that matter, because every life matters to you, Lord. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.